The Kindness Podcast is made possible by Cornwell Properties in Athens, Ohio. Cornwell Properties offers Ohio University students the best locations to live in Athens. All of their apartments are either on Court Street or within one block. Cornwell Properties. Location matters. Visit their website, cornwellpropertiesathens.com, for more information. Welcome to the Kindness Podcast. I'm Nicole Phillips. There are really exciting things happening in the world of kindness research. UCLA recently established the Badari Kindness Institute, where experts are working on promoting a more humane world. Darnell Hunt, the Dean of Social Sciences at UCLA, and Dan Fessler, the inaugural director, join me to talk about what this institute might mean for the way we look at kindness. Darnell, my first question is just how the conversation would even begin about the need for a place to study kindness. How did that come about? Well, you know, actually the idea originated with the donor, um, Matt Harris. Um, He wanted to do something big. He wanted to do something that would have impact. Um, He has a family foundation, um, the Badari Family Foundation, that supports uh, sustainability, um, animal uh, rights, um, uh, work in Africa, you know, efforts to create more humane societies. And so that was sort of the jumping off point. Clearly there was an interest there. And the more we talked, we realized that the work we're doing at UCLA as a public institution that's committed to the greater good dovetailed really nicely with what he was trying to accomplish as a philanthropist. And so we just started talking and really brainstorming about, you know, how we could take his interest and marry it to some of the research expertise we have at UCLA. And then kind of, you know, I'm not sure exactly who used the word kindness or how it came up, but at some point it became obvious to us that what we were really talking about was using um, kindness as, as an approach to the world and, um, you know, thinking about the ways in which empathy has declined, particularly in a, in a moment of political polarization and violence, um, and, 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 and figuring out how we might study that with um, different approaches. Um, you know, here in the social sciences, we have everything from anthropology to political science to sociology to the ethnic studies departments communication. And we have scholars who are doing research on a number of topics, homelessness, poverty, um, immigration. And, you know, a common denominator across a lot of that work is the way we treat our fellow human beings. And and kindness becomes a concept that, you know, is, I think, relevant to a lot of that work. And so it became obvious as we continued to talk, we invited um, a number of scholars um, um, to come together to give TED Talks when, when Matt was in L.A. And out of those presentations, I think, grew the idea for this institute, um, which is, um, uh, I guess, a structure that allows us to bring together all this talent on the UCLA campus to facilitate the research, to support the research, to bring in other scholars from a range of different disciplines, all focused on this core concept of kindness and the role it could play in creating more humane societies. I think sometimes kindness is, is written off as, you know, a nice fuzzy feeling and unicorns and bubblegum and cotton candy and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, I'm wondering, Darnell, did your feelings about kindness change or have you learned things about kindness through watching this uh, institute develop? 
Well, you know, I, I, I've talked about this often. I mean, kindness is not a concept that carries a lot of weight within the social sciences. I mean, if you go to the annual association meetings of, say, the American Anthropological Association or the American Sociological Association or American Political Science Association, you're not going to see um, sections on kindness per se. But what you will see, you know, um, in areas that study race or, you know, human interaction, um, it's an issue that often arises. And so what we're doing basically is refocusing, um, I guess, the, the gaze that, that scholars have on real-world problems by, you know, putting this idea of kind, uh, kindness front and center. And so I guess what I learned is that, you know, it is a concept that has a lot to say um, to an amazingly broad array of researchers and research projects. And, and we're seeing that now as we sort of marshal the talent just at UCLA alone. And, and this institute, of course, will reach far beyond UCLA, and we hope to, to work with community partners as well. And Matt was um, very adamant that the research not just be, you know, uh, you know, basic research that only researchers share with one another. This had to be public-facing. It had to be research that has practical applications in the real world. So a big part of the Institute will be taking the research that happens at UCLA and then translating that into knowledge that, you know, community-based organizations might use to empower themselves, individuals might use to um, advance certain types of policies that are, in fact, more humane. So I think I've learned that um, you can take a concept that may not necessarily be central within a discipline, the way that discipline is defined, and yet, you know, um, figure out ways to bring people in from a, a range of different disciplines to focus on a topic that has a lot of analytical power and a lot of practical um, significance for, for some of the issues that we confront in society. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes between universities and the community, there can be a distance there. And I, I noticed that you guys are bridging that distance already with the UCLA Mindful app, which is free for anyone to download and really gives some great tools and techniques for uh, living a life of more mindfulness and more kindness. So already the Institute is, is taking off. Well, absolutely. I mean, Mark, you know, Mindfulness Awareness Research Center, you know, is an important partner in this enterprise because mindfulness, you know, as a practice, um, has a lot of utility in terms of helping us, um, you know, being more in touch with ourselves and, and I guess in a space to be more kind to others. Um, that's an important part of the process. I guess a practical application of some of the research that, that um, the Institute will be engaged in. Um, but, you know, our, our division, the Division of Social Sciences at UCLA, I mean, we've been pushing for some time now, even before this particular opportunity arose, um, pushing to make our research more relevant, to um, engage in projects that have something to say to the broader society. We created an e-forum a couple of years ago called LA Social Science, which um, is, a, is a platform to um, uh, encourage dialogue, a two-way flow, flow of dialogue between the broader community and, and scholars, both faculty and students at UCLA, um, to address the big issues that we're confronting in society, like political polarization, like um, immigration, like poverty, like homelessness. Um, you name it. Um, and so the Kindness Institute, of course, fits right in very nicely. It aligns perfectly. And we, we expect to use LA Social Science, the e-forum, to push out a lot of the important research findings that come out of the Institute. Mm 
Mm-hmm. I'm excited to see what does come out of it. You definitely have your your hand on the heartbeat of a lot of issues um, that we're facing as humans right now. So Darnell, thank you for talking with me from uh, the perspective of the Dean of Social Sciences. I really appreciate that. We're going to transition and talk oh, now. Oh, I'm sorry. Go on. No, no, I was going to say my pleasure. Oh, thank you. Uh, we're going to transition and talk with Dan uh, Fessler right now, who is uh, the inner, uh, inaugural director of the Badari Kindness Institute about some of the research. And in really, as Darnell mentioned, um, Dan, some of the relevancy. And I'm wondering what sort of research about kindness has surprised you as this has all been coming about? So uh, that's an important question, and, and I'd like to answer it. But I think before we get to that, it's important to back up just one step. So um, earlier in, in um, speaking of Dean Hunt, you you mentioned when people word kindness, they think about unicorns and, and fuzzy things and bubble gum or something like that. And um, that that is um, pretty much universally my experience as well. And when, when we initially um, uh, talk to people about this wonderful enterprise that we're engaged in, but it's critical there to to make clear that we are, in fact, engaged in a serious scientific enterprise, and we have a rigorous definition of what we mean by kindness. And it is with that definition in hand that we then see many of these applications that Dean Hunt mentioned. Um, So we are um, defining kindness as the the thoughts, feelings, and beliefs that uh, motivate action intended to benefit another individual or or party where um, that other individuals' welfare is an end in itself, not a means to an end. Mm-hmm. Um, so people can benefit others for ulterior motives, and um, they can intend to benefit others, um, uh, and even if they fail to do so, um, uh, we are still classifying that as kindness. So we exclude the former, that is, um, actions that are not um, taking the other as an end in itself, and um, we include the latter actions which are intended to provide a benefit where that end is, uh, where that goal is an end in itself. So um, uh, with this in mind, then we see applications of this idea across the spectrum of complexity from the level of individual genes to the level of whole societies. Uh, And in getting to know more of the research that's being done by my colleagues here at UCLA, um, uh, I'm just more and more enthusiastic about the way that uh, this approach can unite a variety of exciting projects uh, across the campus. So you asked me what surprised me. Um, well, uh, I, for example, am impressed that um, that our colleague uh, Michelle Krask has um, has already documented um, clinical utility in the application of um, compassion and. Um, contemplation of compassion, a form of mindfulness, uh, in treating depression and in treating anxiety. So, um, and by this we mean not that um, compassionate caregivers enhance um, the well-being of patients with these conditions. I think that is a given, um, but rather that um, for individuals suffering from these conditions, um, engaging in more kindness, essentially, that is seeking to think about others in ways that um, that value those others and that see the opportunity to provide benefits to those others as an end in itself, doing so um, uh, can alleviate the burden of depression and uh, the burden of anxiety. So to me, that's very impressive, right? That uh, already clinical utility is being uh, documented in this fashion. Mm 
Right. And so important because so many people suffer from anxiety and depression. But I'd like to kind of lay down next to each other what you just said about people helping themselves through anxiety and depression uh, by by becoming more compassionate toward others and then laying that next to the definition of kindness that you just gave us, which is that it's an end into itself as far as helping another person. So, um, gosh, it seems like kindness, when you look at it from the outside, you can see, okay, that this act of kindness is going to benefit that person. If I give um, $5 to this homeless person, they are going to go potentially buy some food and and have a meal and know that someone cares about them um, because I care about them. But yet next to that, you know, I can say to myself, I know if I'm having a bad day and I go do something for somebody else, like give this $5 away, I'm going to feel better. My depression is going to be less. My anxiety is going to be less. So how do those two fit together? Because there is, I think, an element of heal yourself by healing others. Uh, you're absolutely right. And and indeed, as I said, we, we can scale this up to the level of whole societies in the sense that we all want to live in a, a more peaceful, um, uh, you know, more harmonious society, um, a freer society and so on, right? And um, in, in there's good reason to think that um, these same practices and approaches enhance that as well. And you might say, well, is, is that just like, is it self-interest for me to treat my depressed mood by helping someone else? Is it self-interest for me to try and improve society by developing policies based on these things, right? And and the answer is yes, but the key is the intention, okay? So if your goal in aiding somebody in need is only to feel better yourself and you don't actually care about the welfare of that other party, right, that this, this is just a means to an end, then by definition we're excluding that from kindness. And although, as far as I know, this research has not been done yet, my bet would be that that kind of approach is not efficacious. That is, if people enter the situation thinking, my primary goal here is to generate um, an enhancement of my own welfare, and it's just a, a means to an end to, to do that by benefiting others, that probably, you know, those actions do not um, benefit the self in the intended way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, I'm guessing here, as I said, I don't think that we have the, the, the data yet, um, but the reason that I am fairly confident in that prediction is that um, that understanding, so I'm an evolutionary anthropologist, um, and I try and understand uh, contemporary human behavior, health and welfare, how the mind works in light of our species' um, deep evolutionary history. And one way of thinking about this is that um, although we experience our minds as if they were, you know, as if we were a single entity. That is, there's, there's one me. Okay. Um, in reality, uh, uh, there's quite a bit of evidence that our minds are composed of many, many separate parts that interact with each other. Mm -hmm. Right. And we can see this, for example, in disabilities where there's some, um, developmental disabilities where individuals may have excellent social skills, but poor cognition. And then they're the reverse as well. Individuals with outstanding cognition and they, they can't relate to other people. Right. Those kinds of pieces of evidence suggest that the mind is, in fact, a bunch of specialized mechanisms. And um, my colleagues and I, for a number of years, have been working on um, thinking about emotions as tools, that is, little machines that do specific things. They evolve for specific purposes. Um, each of them is a, a separate mechanism, if you will. And um, I'm I'm quite confident that 
there is a little machine in our heads, as it were, right, um, that responds to opportunities for cooperation and prosociality and that adjusts our own motivations to do so in light of that and that is constantly gauging how people respond to us, okay? Mm -hmm. And there are positive, rewarding emotions that are part of the output of that mechanism. If you enter a situation saying, my goal here is to benefit myself, and benefiting somebody else is simply a means to achieve that goal, that by itself, that conceptual framing prevents those rewarding emotions from being turned on. Okay. And so if it is those emotions that are the proximate mechanism that is leading to alleviation of a variety of forms of, of, um, uh, of mental illness, um, then if those mechanisms are not activated because the cognitive frame is, is not appropriate to them, then the action by itself won't generate the intended result. Okay. So, so being perhaps, uh, a people who are, asking what's in it for me then, how do we convince people to be kind for the sake of another person and not bring it back to you'll feel better, you'll have a better cardiovascular system, you know, whatever it is. Right, right, right. That's an excellent question. Um, And I think part of the answer is um, to use those mechanisms themselves to propagate kindness. That is... While it is absolutely correct that um, that we have quite a bit of evidence about the way that um, uh, that kindness enhances one's own welfare, including one's own physical health, you mentioned cardiovascular health. Absolutely correct, right? Um, presenting it to an audience, whether that is the general public or, say, a group of students in a classroom, and saying this is the way to be happier, this is the way to lower your blood pressure, right? Um, that's the wrong framing. That information should be shared with people precisely because, you know, that's the goal of science is to learn more about the world and to share that knowledge with others. But if, if, our, um, if our immediate goal in a given interaction is to promote kinder behavior, presenting the self-interest is the wrong way to go about it. Instead, I suggest uh, informing people about the way that they respond to the environment around them and giving them agency to choose the kinds of situations that they put themselves in will enable them to have the kinds of positive experiences that, um, that make kindness work the way that it does. So what do I mean by that? Um, uh, well, um, let me give you an analogy. Okay. So, uh, just recently, and and, and this was not uh, work um, done here, this was done elsewhere, but I find the work quite compelling. Um, uh, uh, a paper was published showing that People who followed the news coverage of the Boston Marathon bombings very closely, um, and who felt, you know, personally invested in um, uh, in this incredibly horrific uh, event, um, two years later they show signs of post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. Even though they weren't at the site, they were not personally injured. Right? They didn't perhaps even, um, you know, suffer in any way, um, in, in, any, in any kind of, you know, uh, material way. Um, uh, from this terrorist attack. So why are they experiencing signs of trauma um, when all they did was watch TV? And the answer, again, goes back to our evolutionary history, I think, in that, um, you know, our ancestors didn't live in a world of high-definition television, okay? (laughs) There was no time in which you could be exposed to extremely realistic depictions of events 
and they were not happening in front of you. This is why, you know, uh, 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 why pornography has been such a successful industry for so long, right? Mm. Um, uh, people find it rewarding, even though, um, in fact, this is not an opportunity for them to, to have sexual relations with someone, right? That is, the mind processes that as if it were immediate and real and affecting us, okay? Um, uh, so if that's the case, right, then exposing, and the background on, on where I'm going with this is that we have uh, uh, quite a bit of evidence and, and um, uh, other people working in the same field as me um, uh, also have evidence that, um, that kindness is contagious, that seeing other people behave kindly leads individuals to experience, um, you can think about it as a kind of a vicarious reward system. They feel uplifted by seeing other people behave in a positive manner even though they are not the beneficiaries of those others' actions, okay? Mm. And the principal outcome of that positive emotional experience is that they themselves are then motivated to go on and behave uh, in a kind manner to others, okay? So if you explain that to people, they can now, and you marry that with what I said earlier about modern media and, and the evolutionarily novel nature of the information environment that we live in right now, um, then you can give people the tools to make choices about what they expose themselves to. Do I want to watch a whole bunch of movies and television programs about um, cynical Machiavellian individuals who exploit others and manipulate other people? Or do I want to watch um, uh, depictions, whether real or fictional, of people who um, see others as valuable in and of themselves um, uh, and are willing to to make sacrifices in order to benefit other people. Um, we have good reason to believe that um, uh, that if you are a media consumer of the former type, um, you will have a darker view of the world than if you're a media consumer of the latter type. As a consequence of that, you will not have positive emotional experiences when exposed to other people's pro-social, positive, kind behavior, and you will not be kind in turn. Okay. Mm. That is, if you think the world is full of, of con men and self-interested individuals, then anybody behaving in a positive manner is, is, is either fooling you or a sucker. Right. 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 If you, if you think, if you think that the world is full of cooperative, you know, people who value one another's welfare, then you see somebody behaving in this fashion and you experience a rewarding emotion and are motivated to behave in kind yourself. Mm -hmm. So do you just put it out there to people? Okay. Watch this. Watch TV show A and see how you feel when people are being nasty to each other. Watch TV show B and see how you feel when people are being kind and generous and compassionate to one another. And, um, you know, stand up, walk away from the TV and see which one you feel better about and then make your choice. Because it sounds like you're saying you choose. That's right. So we're not, in terms of um, what my lab has done so far with regard to outreach, um, the, our major paper reporting uh, 15 experiments of this type is is uh, under review right now. So, uh, you know, until until that baby gets, um, you know, the official seal of approval from the academic peer review process, I don't go out and tell people, you know, on a public basis, I think you need to be concerned about your media consumption, right? I think you need to think about how it affects the kind of um, uh, worldview that you develop, right? I do tell my students that, right? Uh, I feel a sort of direct responsibility for my students right in my classroom as, as we're working on these topics. But um, by the time that this podcast airs in January, yeah, I am 
completely comfortable <laughs> making that recommendation, right? Uh, I mean, we know that um, that that there has been um, uh, a downward spiral in public rhetoric, right? Um, uh, Dean Hunt mentioned earlier um, the uh, the nature of political discourse right now, um, and certainly anybody who has ever ventured anywhere near the internet knows how quickly things spiral downward into um, into you know hostile and unconstructive exchanges between people who have different points of view. Okay. Um, if you are constantly exposing yourself to that kind of information, then, I mean, even if we didn't have the robust evidence that I, that, that we have in hand right now, I would still, just on the basis of common sense, think it's difficult to expect people to think positively of others when they interact with them. Maybe they think positively of others whom they know. Maybe they think positively of others who are just like themselves. But our society is a, a, a large one filled with, you know, anonymous or semi-anonymous interactions, right? We, we, you know, you can't live in a big urban area without being surrounded by people with whom you know, have no connection. If your baseline assumption is that those people are only interested in their own welfare and are, are, are going to be at best indifferent to you and at worst actively hostile, um, then I think that's going to shape your own behavior, the emotions that you experience, and as a consequence of all of that, potentially, um, uh, all the things that we talked about previously, your, your mental health, your cardiovascular health, um, uh, you know, eventually your longevity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so you asked, you know, how do you, how do you, we began this conversation by saying, well, how, how do you promote kindness if kindness is defined in terms of others' welfare being an end in itself? if part of the incentive for engaging in such actions is that it benefits one to do so. And the answer is just give people the opportunity by virtue of educating them to shape the kind of social world, real digital or fictional that they inhabit and see how that changes their own actions. Wow. Dan, I just, I mean, I feel like, okay, we're, we're, 25 minutes into this podcast, I feel like, okay, let's just spend the next 25 hours talking about this because it is fascinating to me. It is absolutely fascinating to me. And um, I know it's going to be fascinating to other people and I can't wait for more of this research to come out and see what comes out from the Badari Kindness Institute. But uh, you have given us some things to think about, which is A, watch what you're putting in your mind and B, uh, expect people to be kind. You know, you want to draw more kindness into your life, expect it. Stop walking around being cynical about life. And I thank you for that. I think that though that right there could, could change people's outlook. Um, so thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you. You're, you're very welcome. And I appreciate your enthusiasm and your support. I think, um, as I said, you know, it's early days in a lot of this research, Um, but it's not like we're telling people, you know, take this experimental drug, um, (laughs) and, um, uh, and maybe it'll improve your health, right? Um, Right. that is, um, the, the, the potential upsides are pretty big and it's hard to see a lot of downsides in the kind of recommendations that, 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 um, you know, fall out of this research. Right. Um, and, and you asked about, you know, daily practice. Okay. So, um, I'll give you a kind of mundane example and then maybe some, um, more sophisticated ones. So, you know, we're in Los Angeles. It is not news to anyone that Los Angeles has bad traffic. Okay? <laughs> uh, 
Um, uh, you know, years ago, there was a, in the early days of Walt Disney, there was a Disney cartoon in which I think was Goofy, you know, he's a, he's a pedestrian and he's, 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 you know, fleeing for his life from these mad drivers out there on the road, right? And he thinks this is completely insane. Why are these people like this? And then he gets behind the wheel of the car and he just is part of the problem, not part of the solution. Right. Um, that is, you know, when you're trying to get somewhere, the other people are an obstacle to your progress, right? Mm, yeah. um, uh, in fact, many years ago, my, my late dissertation advisor, Roy Dendrati, speculated that the reason there was so much road rage on the freeways is that people have the expectation of going fast. That's what the freeway's for. And if they're, if they're going slow, then they're just frustrated. Mm-hmm. And they see others as blocking their ability to do what, they, uh, you know, what the freeway is for, as it were. Okay? Mm-hmm. So what's a simple thing that you can do? Um, I actually learned this from my wife, right? <laughs> I've learned yeah, probably most of the things, the important things I know in life, I've learned from my wife. I like that. I like um, that a lot. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I'm a much kinder person by virtue of uh, having been bar- married to this wonderful person for over 30 years. Um, uh, and uh, she drives more than I do. I ride a bike in LA, so I get to zip past the traffic, but she, but she drives and is stuck in, in traffic a lot. And when someone is behaving in a self-interested fashion, right? They're cutting in front of you in, in, in line, you know, um, uh, in traffic. They're, you know, weaving in and out. They're driving too fast or braking too hard or whatever it is, right? She says, maybe they have a sick child in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Okay? That is, there are two ways you can think about their actions. Um, you can think, well, this is a self-interested party who doesn't care about other people's welfare, in which case I respond in, 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 you know, in the same fashion. Or you can think, no, this is actually a very good human being who's doing a pro-social thing. It's just they are, you know, there are incidental costs to other people along the way, but those costs are well worth inflicting um, in, in, in the service of the greater good. Right? And if you think about it that way, it's much less frustrating to be in traffic, and you're a much better driver yourself. Right. And think of how good we feel when we get out of the car, knowing that we weren't surrounded by people who are out to get us or impede our progress. We're surrounded by people who are out there making their way to do good. Exactly, right? I mean, if if you think everyone else on the road is a jerk, right? This is Goofy's problem, right? When he gets behind the wheel. He thinks everyone else on the road is a jerk and they're all on his way, okay? Well, then you're one of the jerks, Yep. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> Okay, so that's a mundane example, but let me give you a more sophisticated one, which is um, uh, for some time now I've had the privilege of of working with a group of outstanding professionals at the West Los Angeles Veterans Administration Medical Center. And um, these are all folks who who, uh, staff a a clinic that exclusively serves homeless and recently homeless veterans. Okay, so this is a very challenging patient population, right? Um, uh, these folks have a lot of problems. This isn't, you know, hey, doc, I sprained my ankle. That's why I'm here, you know, at the doctor's office. There's, you know, many, many, many um, problems with difficult lives behind them often, right? Mm-hmm. And um, uh, a very challenging patient population to treat, right? Um, because these individuals can be intimidating, frightening mm-hmm. even, right? Um, uh, you know, unkempt and, and off-putting by virtue of that, Um because many of them suffer from mental illness, uh, you know, substance use, um, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. These are all things that, um, that they see all the time um, uh, in this clinic, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if you approach that clinical interaction thinking, well, I have to defend myself against these individuals who, you know, they might be dangerous, they might be contagious, or they might simply be insulting and inconsiderate, right? All of which, you know, 
are realistic concerns, right? But if you approach the interactions that way, then you see those others as, as only a source of cost. Um, uh, to you, right? And and you are now goofy behind the wheel, as it were, right? Yeah. That is, um, uh, you, you tend to act um, uh, aggressively in defense of your own interests. Okay, yeah. but if you frame it as each of these person, each of these people has has you know a complex life. They all have you know positive goals that they want to achieve. They all have challenges that they're working um, on, and each of them can be in the right situation a positive contributor to any social interaction, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and thinking about it in those terms changes the clinician's mindset in interacting with the patient such that, um, well, if the patient is, you know, uh, somebody's yelling and screaming or somebody's upset or somebody is not following medical advice and, and doing themselves harm as a consequence, right? Rather than saying, well, I'm out of here, right? I can just, you know, I can't work with this person, right? Instead, you say, let's try and reach that individual who can be positive in social interactions? What do we have to do to 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 get to them in in this interaction? Okay, how do we engage that part of this individual? And it, it, my my colleagues at the VA developed a lot of these techniques on their own. I've, I've come on board relatively recently in their enterprise, but I, I have seen simply jaw dropping transformations in the course of a short conversation where somebody who comes in distraught angry, sometimes even to the point of incoherent, right? Um, uh, a patient, kind, concerned clinician, instead of responding with, whoa, I got to get my guard up because of the way this person's acting, that clinician can, in, in the course of a single hour, can turn that person in a positive direction, can help them to make you know, positive, constructive decisions about their own care, right? And can, can mm-hmm. set them on a path which ultimately can vastly improve their lives. I've seen it happen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, obviously, you know, being stuck in traffic is no fun. <laughs> Having your blood pressure go up is bad for you and all the rest of it. Driving dangerously poses a hazard to you and others around you, right? But compared to the potential significance of being able to help, um, you know, deserving veterans who are, who are really in a difficult situation, the, 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 the road rage issue, you know, pales in comparison of its right. significance. Um, so, so, you know, it's those kinds of applications of, um, the basic science work that Dean Hunt was talking about, right? We are, you know, at the Bedari Kindness Institute, thanks to the generosity of Jennifer and Matt Harris, um, we are going to be able to both support and conduct the basic science research and build the translational research that applies that to real world problems. And those real world problems, you know, are everything from the problems of individuals, like in the clinical interaction, to, you know, policy for whole societies, right? How do we structure things so that, um, uh, uh, that um, everyone is better off? Right. We're going to see small changes on the personal level and, and major changes uh, across the globe. Thank you, Dan Fessler from um, UCLA for, for talking to us today about the work that's being done, about ways that we can improve our own lives today, right now. I, I so appreciate you. Thanks for talking with me today. Well, thank you for your interest and, and thank you for sharing um, uh, some of the exciting things going on here at the UCLA Bedari Kindness Institute with your listeners. That was a conversation with Darnell Hunt, the Dean of Social Sciences at UCLA, and Dan Fessler, 
the inaugural director of the Badari Kindness Institute. Download the UCLA Mindful app to take advantage of their latest research. Thanks for listening to The Kindness Podcast. It's produced by WOUB Public Media and relies heavily on the kindness of engineer Adam Rich. I'm Nicole Phillips. We hope you'll subscribe to The Kindness Podcast wherever you listen and find us on social media at Kindness Podcast. If you like the show, please spread some kindness in the review section. Thank you.